All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, introducing uh, Boltzmann Booty from Nuts and Boltzmann. And uh, that's his substack. It's booty.substack.com. And he's one of kind of a new generation, I think, of people interested in and investigating and writing about what really happened in the Oklahoma City bombing. And this is called the CIA asset that funded the Oklahoma City bombing. Again, it's at booty.substack.com. And of course, it's about Roger Moore, the supposed gun robbery victim. And uh, a real deep fleshing out of his story. So welcome to the show. Appreciate you writing this and joining us today here. Hey, thanks for having me, um, uh, and thanks for thanks for reading it. Uh, largely, yeah, I mean, probably half the citations link back to the archive that you're hosting on the Libertarian Institute's website um, about the bombing. So it's uh, you know massively uh, indebted to to that effort. So appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, no problem. And of course, the vast lion's share of that effort goes to Richard Booth for putting Absolutely. all that together. I did provide some files among mm-hmm. the files. Uh, I have my own collection. Jesse Trinidou has been sending me all of his stuff for years. Uh, oh, all yeah. of his court papers and everything. I've been keeping my own separate archives. So now we got it all. And it is, I'm proud to say it is, the uh, greatest Oklahoma City bombing archive of uh, revisionist type materials. for. Well, I mean, that is government documents that reveal the truth that you could find. Um, and plus exactly. a lot of great journalism and no goofy stuff. Um, right. If there's goofy stuff, it's only because it's being reviewed and explained somehow, but uh, and, and and given proper context. Uh, but this is all the good stuff and not the bad stuff. And it's libertarianinstitute.org/okc, and it's the yep. great journalist Richard Booth who's put that together, who's working on a book on this right now. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, so and yeah, I've noticed you guys have this crew on uh, Twitter here, four or five of you guys uh, who've been you know, taking a deep look at this. And it's sort of, for me, the book I never wrote. I was too young to really try to write a book about it at the time when I was so interested in it back then. And it was, you know, Mm -hmm. the most important thing going on for a while there uh, for me. But, um, but it's the book I never wrote that I I wish I had that this is why I'm so excited about what you guys are doing and what Booth is doing here that I'm going to finally get to the bottom of this. Damn it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's there's definitely been yeah a resurgence in interest. Uh, yeah, Booth and uh, and Wendy Painting's book uh, Aberration: The Heartland of the Real. Like, I don't know that has uh, attracted a lot more people to thinking about this uh, lately than I think there had been for a few years. Um, and yeah, it's good because uh, I think you know remains relevant obviously like uh, it's not like this type of stuff is uh, gonna stop happening um so yeah i'm uh yeah appreciate you appreciate you reading this and having me on um because yeah i think 
you know, I think also you know, people talk about the like kind of you 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 mentioned how there's a lot of the you called it revisionist like information there on in your archive there and like yeah you can just digging into like literal government documents you can pretty much show conclusively that there was like you know some kind of sting operation going on surrounding the bombing um and i think that's as far as people usually like go with it they'll be like okay it was a, a failed sting operation um by the fbi and or the atf um but yeah, I think some of the stuff that I've been investigating here, like with Roger Moore, kind of starts to point in a more unsettling, deeper direction there, where it might have been a sting operation that was hijacked by other elements within the government and actually like kind of intentionally uh, forced to go big. That's kind of like the angle that I've sort of slowly come around to through long, you know, hours of reading and discussion with Booth and... Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, it's important. Look, I waver around on all this stuff because I started out a maximalist on this stuff from the day of. So uh -huh. the idea that the government had done it just to frame the radical right, essentially, uh, get some new legislation passed, essentially, uh, that was <laughs> the maybe even the limited hangout. Like, who knows what they were really doing? You know, kind of thing. So, like, but then. You know, and I used to be a big believer in the bombs and the building stuff. I probably could make the case as good as anyone, and yet I came mm -hmm. to believe that that really was not right. And J.D. Cash convinced me that that was, mm -hmm. you know, essentially quackery and mistaken, uh, you know, kind of a red herring thing back then. And J.D. Cash was the best of them all. It ain't like, you know, it was the FBI who convinced me otherwise. It was our right. best guy who convinced me otherwise. Um, and But so I, you know, and I've always waved around. I really don't know what Strassmeyer was doing and what the, you know, what role, uh, how much control the FBI had over those bank robbers and, you know, who all was calling shots for who and right. these kinds of things. Like, what can you know? I, it's so very hard to pin down. Um, and it, I should say, hard for me to pin down. I'm not saying it's beyond the realm of journalists and historians to really get to this as you guys are sure. doing now. Um, but I think that it's not insane to say that that's within our realm of reasonable speculation, that it wasn't just they were meant to be heroes stopping the bombing from happening at the last minute kind of thing, but that mm -hmm. somebody in power wanted this thing to be one big bang for one reason or another. I'm reading a book now and I haven't gotten very far into it, so I'm not vouching for any of the arguments in it at all, but the premise is that the whole thing was made to frame Iraq, which they sure did try to do. Say that it was uh -huh. bin Laden who did it, but bin Laden's just a front man for Saddam Hussein. Everybody knows that, they said in 1995. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's a, it's a damned murky mess is what it is. But anyway, let's talk about Roger Moore because um, it always was funny that this guy was robbed of all these guns. He didn't use any of his guns in self-defense during this time. He got robbed by this you know, kind of nearsighted weirdo, um, uh, Terry Nichols, uh, working for McVeigh. And I think, right. you know, even in the mainstream news coverage at the time, there was something unbelievable about this, but nobody knew quite what to make of it. So this is where I finally be quiet and listen to you. Tell me all about what you make of it now. Oh, no worries. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah. The, 
the the whole the, the robbery is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, so okay. So so to I guess I guess we could like back up and like so more more is uh you know. Uh, Roger Moore is the guy that we're talking about. He presents himself as sort of, at least in the, in the like you know early mid '90s when uh, when he seems to have first hooked up with McVeigh. He was kind of you know presenting himself as an anti-government extremist, and he's uh, going to gun shows and selling ammunition and uh, and uh, pornography and weaponry with his uh, with his girlfriend Karen Anderson to various uh, you know to, to like militia dudes and stuff uh, at gun shows across the United States um, and in 93 supposedly January of 1993 McVeigh and more meet at a at a gun show, McVeigh's running running a table. Moore comes up, buys some stuff. They become friends. They 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 chat. They're like, "All right, let's let's meet again at the next you know at another show next month." And eventually, they're you know occasionally going to shows together. McVeigh's visiting Moore's ranch in Arkansas as he crisscrosses the country, you know, networking with all of these uh, with all these crazy people. And uh, they you know they, uh, they 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 clearly forge you know a relatively. They're friends, I guess you could say, or like it, one could even, I don't know, kind of get a sense of maybe like a mentorship type thing, sort of, I don't know, with more being an older guy with, and McVeigh, you know, meeting with him frequently, hard to say. But anyway, so they become pretty tight. But then eventually in 1994, McVeigh and Terry Nichols, while they're in the process of preparing for the bombing, they uh, apparently formulate this plan to rob Roger Moore. Uh, and Nichols, you know, Nichols claims McVeigh, like, threatened his life and threatened his family and stuff, saying he had to do it, but he also, McVeigh told Nichols, you know, it'll be easy, Morris just gonna cooperate, he's gonna do, he'll, he'll come out at this time, you're not gonna have any trouble with him, just don't worry about it, he'll be like a kitten, I think is, I think he literally said, he'll be like a kitten, uh, and, which is a strange, yeah, strange thing to say about a guy who, you know, supposedly has uh, dozens of guns uh, and uh, is, you know, like an anti-government extremist associated with a bunch of like, like genuine white supremacist groups, uh, at least a couple of genuine white supremacist groups, seemingly. Uh, uh, um, it's strange to assume that he's just going to roll over and let you rob him of his uh, tens of thousands of dollars in guns and uh, jewels and, uh, uh, and, and cash, but that's what happened. Uh, Nichols showed up Moore came outside his house at the time McVeigh said he would, uh, Nichols points a gun at Moore and, uh, you know, ties him up. Uh, and luckily Moore had parked his van right outside his ranch's entrance. And so Nichols didn't have much trouble. He was able to just grab, grab materials from the house, transport them to the van and quickly get out of there. Um, uh, and so, yeah, Nichols robbed him. Moore, for his part, initially initially said a stinky Arab man had robbed him wearing uh, Israeli combat boots, uh, which is ver quite interesting, given what you mentioned there about the possibility of, uh, you know, some, like, Iraq framing idea going on here. Uh, uh, it's an interesting angle that Moore started off saying that he was robbed by an Arab, but uh, <laughs> it's a, that's not true. It was Nichols. There's, it's been confirmed by a variety of, you know, like just the the materials that were stolen were found, uh, like with like Nichols' brother and uh, 
it's yeah and Nichols admitted it and so we we know now that Nichols was the one that actually did the robbery but anyway Moore has told a bunch of inconsistent stories about this uh he even so I guess his, his phone line was cut I think when 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 Nichols robbed him and he went to his neighbor's place to uh you know speak with them after the robbery after Nichols went and he after he you know supposedly untied himself after Moore got freed from whatever restraints he was in which it's unclear if he actually was really restrained or not because i think he told some inconsistent stories about that as well um but uh goes to his neighbor's place all of them say that it seems like he's lying um an insurance adjuster who comes and you know does the evaluation to see how much you know money he might be able to get says that it seemed like his story was uh rehearsed and very implausible like every, the the cops that came when eventually the neighbors got more to call the cops the cops that came said the story seemed like quote-unquote bullshit um even the u.s secret service like they assemble a timeline of the bombing uh that you can find on the archive that you guys are hosting and like they say that the their analysis of a letter that Moore sent to mcveigh uh after the robbery indicates that the that they had uh you know set it up and so basically there's just like a million reasons to think that uh that this is fake and that it seems like Moore and McVeigh were collaborating uh in order to get large amounts of funds into McVeigh and Nichols hands without uh actually you know without being able to directly say that uh Moore gave McVeigh that money and that's what Nichols says Nichols uh, explicitly has said that um he was chosen to do the robbery specifically so that Moore could be polygraphed and uh, say that he didn't know who the robber was um, and that ultimately it was specifically to fund the bombing is what Nichols has said. Um, uh, so that's interesting, right? Uh, we have this guy the, that staged a robbery with McVeigh to provide funds for the bombing. And Nichols also has said that uh, Moore was uh, helping McVeigh case out um, bombing targets. And both Nichols and McVeigh have said that Moore provided them with explosives, that provided them with, uh, I think it's called kind stick. Uh, um, and I forget the chemical. stick, I think is how they pronounce it. Really? Okay. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've only read the. I've only read it. Uh, some of the. I'm just going by twenty-five year old memories of people talking about this on right wing radio, but I'm pretty sure they knew how to pronounce it. <laughs> it might have been. It might have been Jesse Trinidu who talked about it near me. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I try. I mean, that that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. So kinestic. Yeah, and it's uh, uh what some it's it's made of the chemicals that were used in the bombing, and both uh, McVeigh and Nichols have said that uh, that's a yeah, more uh, provided uh, detonators that were used. Um, in addition to the, they also stole explosives from elsewhere and purchased explosives from elsewhere, but, but more provided some of the explosives that uh, were used in the bombing, according to both Nichols and McVeigh. Okay, so this guy obviously is, you know, he's deep in this thing. Um, and indeed, he tried to bail McVeigh out of jail when McVeigh got uh, arrested the day of the bombing when, when he inexplicably was uh, driving without a license plate. Um, and uh, had his gun with him, and so he got arrested when he got pulled over for that. And Moore was uh, was uh, quickly trying to bail him out, uh, according to like bondsmen that were uh, in the jail that where McVeigh was. So Moore, yeah, he's undeniably a, a participant in the 
bombing. Uh, well, and, so I'm very curious then who he is and why do you exactly, think yeah. that he was allowed to be a prosecution witness instead of a prosecution target? Yeah, yeah, and so that's it gets it's a uh, right. It's a it's an interesting question. How could like this is this all of this stuff is pretty uh, direct and uh, and you can even like I said like you can see in the U.S. Secret Service timeline that in you know during the investigation they're saying yeah they faked it. So like people you know it seems that like it's strange that yeah he wasn't uh, he didn't face any legal. Well, you know what? Let me issues. let me give you the limited hangout here, which may just be the truth. I don't know, but it's certainly. Their official excuse, not that it is one, right? I mean, this is a hangsman rope excuse if it's an excuse. I'm not buying it. But they told um, uh, Andrew Gumbel, who wrote the book mm -hmm. Oklahoma City with Roger Charles, yep. that, look, man, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially we let the others go because we didn't want to jeopardize the death penalty case against McVeigh. McVeigh's lawyer wanted to say somebody else put him up to it. So we wanted to essentially eliminate the possibility that anyone had put him up to it because somebody's got to die for this and it's going to be this guy. And that was what was the overriding priority. But then he admits he has a funny way of saying it with all these weird double negatives and stuff. But he says like, geez, if you asked everybody to raise their hand if they thought that we didn't let every anybody else get away with it then i don't think anyone would raise their hand so you'll be like wait which what yeah in other words everyone on the prosecution this is a u.s attorney talking everyone on the prosecution's team would agree that yes we let the others go because we mm -hmm. wanted to nail this guy so maybe it's as simple as that or maybe it's worse but let's start there because i don't want to start with the 60 minutes version of this story we'll start with the getting it somewhat right in the first place here so let's go ahead and start with that what do you think of that <laughs> uh so what i think of that is that uh yeah i mean it's uh it's uh it's bullshit yeah definitely obviously bullshit uh that's uh it's uh by the it's way like, it's page 328 of oklahoma city for people who want to look at that <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, that that's good to note um that's a really good book by the way that people should read it's a it's a it doesn't you know like it doesn't it doesn't go far enough in some regards, but it's it's got a lot of really solid information. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, I think yeah, that's the great that's, Roger uh, Charles. Have to say that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, he recently passed away, and uh, definitely was uh, was a cornerstone of uh, a lot of the work that's been done to try and unravel what was really going on here. Um, a very interesting character, and really, uh, yeah, he was. Really close with Booth, I guess, and they, they worked closely on this. So, yeah. Uh, I knew him for years, too. He's a really great guy. He was a 60 Minutes producer. Who was, yeah, right. You know, yeah, started out with kind of firsthand access to this story and went, well, wait a minute. I didn't smell a rat from here. What the hell's going on? Anyway, yeah, and he, was, he was a wonderful man. Go ahead. He ultimately got pushed kind of out of that 60 Minutes position because of this, right? Like, he was, try he was pushing hard to get them to show some of the more, like, legitimate stuff right am i am i right about that or am i am i i don't remember the exact dispute when he left but i'm sure that must be right i'm sorry i'd, I'd have to defer to booth on that now it's been too no long. no worry um yeah no no worries but yeah anyway uh yeah i uh, no yeah no i mean the uh, of course they did want to they did definitely want to scapegoat mcveigh and uh and execute him uh or not scapegoat him i mean i believe obviously that he uh you know has a Play, played a major major role in all this although asking 
kind of why he was playing such a major role is a really interesting question. But anyway, I wouldn't deny that. Yeah. And so to say scapegoat, I don't mean to say like that they killed him and he wasn't responsible, but yeah, no, I definitely don't think that the only reason that they failed to pursue any of the other people involved was to avoid jeopardizing the death penalty. And I think that's a hilariously, uh, uh, like strained attempt at, uh, you know, at admitting that you, uh, completely failed to solve, uh, the, yeah. deadliest terror um, yeah i mean attack. by the way like come on we've known for 25 years that all these guys who were involved were all fbi informants or flip states witnesses or compromised by the Absolutely. fbi but that means the fbi was compromised by them too at the very least they had this whole group of guys that they wanted to suppress because they were covering their own asses that's why Absolutely. we know the fbi stopped the atf from raiding elohim city we're not gonna let you yep. get us into another waco disaster you idiots we'll take care of it said bob ricks the spokesman for the fbi during waco who then didn't take care of it and the attack happened anyway all this is on the record for decades now it is it's crazy yeah you can literally read about how yes they were going to arrest strassmeyer at elohim city and then there was a meeting uh, among high ups, like from the U.S. Attorney's Office and like FBI, ATF, and they're like, "No, don't, don't do this raid. <laughs> it's crazy." Like in 1990, like it could have stopped the bombing. Yeah, absolutely, it's, it's insane. Um, uh, Ambrose Evans Pritchard could have told you that in 1997. Him and Glenn right, Wilburn yeah. and J.D. Cash. I mean, all this stuff has been known for so long. It's so, it's, and that's the thing that really, I guess, nowadays almost bothers me the most about it. it just what a world we live in. And that's what it's always been to me, this story. How can it be, you know, before September 11th? This is the biggest right. thing in the world. This is like second wounded knee or bigger. And this time it was right. government employees at the and their babies in the daycare at the receiving end of it. So it was just this huge trauma for the country. It's this massive crime. And they were able to just paper over every bit of this. They never held a single hearing in the House or the Senate on this question of who did this bombing. I mean, think of that. I mean, it just is it's part of what made me this way. Not only did they do Waco, but they sorta at least did Oklahoma at least did at least. Oklahoma and totally covered up what really happened there and got away with that. Right. You know what I mean? It's like Sweeping all your toys under the rug and thinking your mom ain't going to notice that that's where you like, you didn't really clean up at all. You know what I mean? There, there's giant lumps in the rug right there. You can't. That's a terrible analogy, but you feel me. It ain't right, it's damn it, that they can that they can skate by with such thin garbage as their excuses for this, you know? It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the, but yeah, this, this, all the all the content in this essay that I'm talking about, uh, other than maybe like maybe two little bits in it like almost all the content in this thing has been written about like since yeah yeah like probably 1997 or 1998 like a lot of it and some of it maybe came out later but like a lot of the information was like revealed in interviews back then uh and then published subsequently in books later but like it's you know it's all stuff that's like just been in pub almost all of it's been public record for a very long time and like it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's unbelievable. No, I think the the the, the analogy of the toddler sweeping the stuff under the carpet is a perfect analogy because it's literally, yeah, it's literally just visible. You can just look at it. But a point worth making though is that until I think until your friggin' archive was put on the like internet, it was a lot harder to like 
form a holistic picture of this. Like you basically could only just do it by reading books, which mm-hmm. is worth doing, but also like, you know, m- many, not many people are going to go and seek out a bunch of books about this stuff, but it's a lot easier to just search around on, on your archives. So it's God, very I'd useful love to do it, man. If I could stop time somehow and go get all of the books about it, there's only like what six or eight really, you know, decent yeah. books worth looking at on it. And then, you know, I'm familiar with pretty much all the footage, but anyway, review all that and then go through that archive and, you know, go through interview Jesse another couple times after that, <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. like write a whole book, do a fool's errand on Oklahoma city, man. I'd love <laughs> to do that. It's just the rest of the world won't stop going by. And I just, I'm so far behind on every other thing, but I'm glad that you guys are doing it. Well, folks, sad to say they lied us into war. All of them. World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq War I, Serbia, Afghanistan, Iraq War II, Libya, Syria, Yemen, all of them. But now you can get the ebook, All the War Lies, by me for free. Just sign up for the email list at the bottom of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash subscribe. Get All the War Lies by me for free. And then you'll never have to believe them again. Hey, y'all. They've got great deals on weed at thehempspot.com. The Hemp Spot specializes in Delta-8 tetrahydrocannabinol instead of Delta-9, so they can send it straight to you anywhere in America. Recently, a friend moved and didn't have a guy in his new town, but then he heard about thehempspot.com on my show and was saved, figuratively and literally, because if you use the promo code SCOTT, you get 15% off every order and free shipping on any order over $100. Legal jams, bud, gummies, and the rest in your state. TheHempSpot.com. Spell V-T-H-C. You guys, my friend Mike Swanson has written such a great revisionist take on the early history of the post-World War II national security state and military-industrial complex in the Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy years. It's called The War State. I have to say, it's the most convincing case I've read that Kennedy had truly decided to end the Cold War before he was killed. In any case, I know you'll love it. The War State by Mike Swanson. But anyway, so listen, um, tell me everything you know about Moore and his background. Because you know what? This country is lousy with former spies and former special operations guys by the millions yes. and millions, right? So there's a lot of former thises and thats. So tell me what I ought to know and believe about this situation here with this guy. Moore, Roger Moore is his name, and not the actor from the James Bond movies, but a worse one than him. Yeah, right. He's, uh, yeah, uh, similarly a spy, though. But yeah, uh, (laughs) but yeah, no. uh, So yeah, Roger Moore provided funding, explosives for the Oklahoma City bombing, and uh, ran with anti-government extremist groups in the early 90s. Um, But turns out, if you actually, like, dig into his background, uh, like, it doesn't really it's a, there's there's a, there's some strangeness there because you know he has an extensive history of employment by the government uh like directly uh and you can find this in like biographical memos that uh nichols terry nichols defense team compiled uh that are on your archive and cited in this essay um so for example he worked at the social security administration he worked for the air force he and his wife carol they worked for north american aviation which was the like a it's a government contractor that was like a pre- precursor to Boeing. And they, you know, built a bunch of, they built like the Saturn V, I think. And he and his wife, Carol, while they worked for this defense contractor, had top secret security clearances. Uh, 
then he goes on after this to become like a millionaire by uh, a series of these boat building businesses in the 60s and 70s. And those were like those were also government contracting businesses. He was working uh, to make patrol boats for the Navy uh, for the Vietnam War um, and purportedly also uh, made speedboats for the CIA, uh, according to Aberration of the Heartland of the Real, the uh, biography of Timothy McVeigh by Wendy Painting. Excellent book. Um, uh so more, you know, he, before he got involved in all this anti-government stuff, he was, uh, he was, he was in it. He worked for the government in a variety of capacities. He had top secret clearance. Um, and then it's not just, it's not just that he doesn't just have direct, you know, you don't just have, it's not just this employment history. Um, because after that, like in the eighties, uh, it seems like even after he was, you know, the end of his official employment, he appears to have still had a relationship with the government because you can, for example, there there was a law enforcement sting operation called Operation Punch-Out, where a bunch of uh, military property was being stolen and sold uh, in the late 80s. And he shows up talking to cops in uh, six different videotapes that were made during this law enforcement sting operation, but he didn't go to jail for it. Uh, he was also at one point uh, investigated for selling C4 uh, by the ATF, and then they just abruptly dropped the investigation and uh, didn't, uh, you know, no explanation why. Uh, in an argument with his attorney once, uh, his attorney told him explicitly that he hoped Moore would be indicted for funding the Oklahoma City bombing, and Moore responded by saying that he was a protected witness, quote unquote. Uh, uh, he said it explicitly to his attorney, who has since revealed that. Uh, he also once in a discussion with a journalist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette named Rodney Bowers, he said, quote, whatever I was doing for the FBI is up because they blew my cover, end quote. Uh, he, so, you know, just direct, <laughs> explicit admissions of uh, working for the government, as well as, uh, you know, various apparent involvement in sting operations. And what's uh, his connection to Dewey Claridge here? Sorry. Oh, uh, so Claridge. So yeah, yeah. So okay. So yeah. So these are so these are some some apparent you know law enforcement connections. But then uh, we uh, you know it's not just it's not just law enforcement connections because I think the more interesting connection with Moore uh, is the apparent CIA connections. He seems to have been either a contractor or a, a you know he he was an employee of the CIA somehow at some point. Uh, and so yeah, the Claridge thing. I'm sorry. When when did these two guys become pals again? Him and McVeigh for the first time. Supposedly, they met in January of 1993 uh, at a uh, uh, gun show in Florida. Okay, I'm um, sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, uh, and and McVeigh had uh, dropped out of uh, or supposedly dropped out of special forces in '91. Uh, I think is uh, the, uh, but so yeah. But I, I'm not. You know, I don't put a huge amount of stock in the actual story that they met there uh, necessarily because I think that that could just be a, a convenient cover. Or however they actually met because uh yeah so so more anyway it's an important note that at least according to the timeline they say these guys met i mean in january 93 means before the first world trade center bombing before waco <laughs> fair yeah 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 and in fact you know it's interesting i mean mcveigh was mcveigh went to went to waco and uh sold uh like bumper stickers there yeah uh, <laughs> It's wild. Uh, and 
yeah, but yeah, they met they met before all that stuff. Um, uh, um, okay, yeah, so, and so I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to distract you on the timeline. I just wanted to picture in my head when these two oh, started palling around. Important, yeah, super important to to know. Uh, and yeah, they after that for the next couple of years, I guess they're uh, pretty frequently in contact and seeing each other. Um, uh, so yeah, so more pretty clearly has a relationship with the FBI and with, uh, law enforcement, uh, long after his official government employment ends, but he also seemingly was a CIA operative of some kind because multiple. So first you got multiple former intelligence operatives who've spoken on like an anonymous conditions to researchers basically who said explicitly that he worked for the CIA. Uh, so, uh, in David Hoffman's book, Oklahoma City Bombing and the Politics of Terror, he apparently, you know, interviewed a retired CIA slash DIA agent uh, in Arkansas who explicitly said Moore was a CIA contractor. Um, similarly, Roger Charles, the guy that we discussed earlier, um, he interviewed a man who later, well, here, okay, so he interviewed a guy who says that Moore taught sabotage techniques for the CIA at Camp Peary Military Base in Virginia uh, in 1997. And then it later came out uh, Charles, Roger Charles told Richard Booth that, uh, the guy that told him this about Moore was named Tom Golden, uh, or sorry, William T. Golden, uh, William Thomas Golden, uh, and William Golden was, uh, an uh, army intelligence guy, but, uh, was working in the military as a civilian, uh, from the late eighties on supposedly and he became like he, he made it in the news several times for as a whistleblower and like for various bits of corruption that he observed in the like operations that he uh you know was kind of like providing support for um and it you know uh significantly damaged his career at least according to the articles that you can find on him and so seems like a fairly trustworthy guy he told roger charles that he knew for a fact that Moore was a yeah, had taught sabotage techniques for the CIA at Camp Peary. Okay, so we have a guy who taught sabotage techniques for the CIA who also provided Timothy McVeigh explosives for the Oklahoma City bombing. But also, okay, so so you asked about Claridge. Um, so Moore was involved also from the 80s onward with a group called Civilian Material Assistance or Civilian Military Assistance, CMA. And uh, they were a group that was founded effectively to provide like assistance to anti-communist fighters in Central America, largely the Contras um, uh, in Nicaragua, uh, especially because you know uh, after after uh, at some point in the 80s Congress passed something called the Bullen Amendment where they they prevented you prevented the US government from providing direct aid uh, to the uh, guerrillas. And so uh, rather than comply with that um, uh, you know, Oliver North and uh, various fellows like Dwayne Claridge decided to just, you know, provide funding and stuff to private groups uh, and, you know, have, have them do the have them do the dirty work effectively. And so CMA was a, a group that was uh, directly supported by the CIA. Uh, they, they deny this. Their founder denies it. But like there's a plenty of uh, evidence they, you know. I had a helicopter from the CIA shot down with two CMA guys in it. There's a, a, according to a series of cables from the U.S. Embassy in Honduras, the CMA secured several CIA contracts through its liaison with uh, John Negroponte, uh, uh, through its liaison with the U.S. ambassador in Honduras, John Negroponte. Basically, the CMA group that Roger Moore was involved with was uh, thoroughly like 
a CIA kind of like front effectively. And so they were providing lots of help to the Contras. And one thing that, so Dwayne Claridge was a CIA counterterror chief and um, he was forced to resign in 1987 in part because he was protecting uh, some CMA CIA guys uh, that were being like he was being questioned in front of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees for the illegal activities they you know they were helping you know illegally uh, supply the Contras and Claridge had to step down because of that. He's also been described as the mastermind behind the CIA's mining of Nicaraguan harbors in 1984, and that's an, that's where the possible like Roger Moore connection comes in because Moore in several different uh, pieces of like uh, in like some investigative memos and a couple books, it's been alleged that Moore was involved in uh, a, an operation to mine Nicaraguan harbors, like what Claridge was called the mastermind of, and because Moore you know manufactured boats, uh, and so the uh, there are claims that he received contracts from Oliver North and or Dwayne Claridge to help uh, either make. Uh, speedboats that were used by the CIA to uh, to re- to to help mine mine these harbors, or uh, to make pontoon boats that were uh, used for this. And I guess the depending on which what you read, it says a different thing there. But effect. So that's where the the Claridge link came in. You asked about. Uh, yeah. It's Claridge. So tell was, us about this new document that you found. Yeah. Um. So that that's interesting. Um. Yeah. So okay. So yeah. So so more. Uh, seems to have been associated with this the CIA group, uh, the CIA-related group, and he also helped uh, run weapons to anti-Castro Cubans and stuff. And so it's like, in addition to these claims that he worked for the CIA from intelligence operatives, you also have evidence that he is uh, running weapons to CIA-affiliated groups. And so, but, you know, maybe that's not proof. Uh, but then, like, just by, by diligent Googling, I happened to come across this document uh, that... I don't know if anybody else had found it yet. Booth hadn't, and this guy J.M. Berger, who's another primary document guy, hadn't heard of it. Um, mm-hmm. Effectively, so it's a it's a it's a cable from the CIA deputy director of operations uh, to the FBI um, uh, from January of 1997 about Roger Moore in relation to the Oklahoma City bombing, and so uh, that's already interesting. You have the C- the CIA sending the FBI a cable specifically about this guy. Okay. Uh, and it's also like, it's largely it's redacted, right? Most of the, most of it has been whited out by, uh, uh, because you can, you can, you know, cite various, uh, exceptions to the freedom of information act to prevent having to tell people information if you're the government. And, um, uh, interestingly though, the, so first of all, the, the document originally was a secret, secret classified, not top secret, but secret. Uh, so it was, you know, seen as sensitive and it has at the top, it's got this big warning in all caps, warning notice, intelligence sources or methods involved. And then like, uh, don't know what most of it says because most of it is whited out, like I said, but there's part of it that isn't whited out. And it talks about, uh, it just gives some like background on more according to news stories. And they basically talk about how some news stories had said that he faked the bombing or faked the, uh, robbery and that he was working as a government informant. So that's interesting. The, the CIA is like sending a cable to the FBI about more and discussing the fact that the media has possibly keyed down on the fact that he works for the government and they, but most of it, like I said, most of it's whited out and the, the 
they have to provide justifications for for uh, redacting things that they're releasing via the Freedom of Information Act. Okay, and um, so they they put these little codes there, and one of them it's not clear what it means because uh, it, it just says that there it means they cited another law basically. It's uh, but one of the codes says it's B one, and uh, it's when they cite this to redact information from a Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, they do it because it's specifically authorized under criteria by an executive order to be kept secret in the interest of national defense or foreign policy. Uh, and so so national security citation effectively was used to avoid revealing information about Roger Moore mm -hmm. to um, uh, to the public. Those are pretty uh, big white redacted rectangles there. They make me so curious. What's I not know. Revealed. I I agree. It's uh, I you know part of it's got to be uh, at least part of it's got to be related to his involvement with with CMA because uh, like I said he was involved with them in the eighties. They obviously had CIA like contracts and stuff, and so I'm sure it it discusses that. Maybe that's the first bit that's redacted. But it's interesting that the the unredacted part's kind of in the middle. So it's like you got a big long redacted part, then you got this. It's labeled bullet point three, and it talks about the possibility that Moore and McVeigh faked the robbery and that Moore was a government informant. Mm -hmm. And then you got another big, large, like, redacted part. And so there's a lot of information they decided they needed to conceal about Roger Moore. <laughs> and yeah. the, it came from the CIA deputy director of operations, and that's, like, uh, like the guy that runs the clandestine operations of the CIA. Like he, he's a, uh, he's a big deal. Like, uh, I wonder if he can keep suing under FOIA for that same document again and again, and see if you can get them to accidentally release the right one. You know, it would be, I right. I know. Yeah. I know what you mean. I really want to, uh, at least attempt something like I've seen. So like, I, I know that other people have like attempted, you know, repeatedly to FOIA CIA for, for more, because you can find like, Sometimes people will uh, FOIA request the FOIA requests, and so you can see long lists of like the requests that were made to government agencies. And uh, frequently, you come or not frequently, but occasionally, you come across like people making requests about more to the CIA, but like the actual information that gets released, if any, is never actually said there. So yeah, I agree. It needs to it needs to be pursued further because uh, it's. Uh, I mean, even without even without the content, it makes it almost undeniable that he had a CIA, like a direct CIA, like affiliation, because there's, there's no way that the, the deputy director of operations of CIA is going to be like cabling something involving intelligence sources and methods to the FBI that then needs to be redacted with like, because of national security, like, and it's about someone who wasn't involved with. I mean, and that doesn't CIA. necessarily mean it has anything to do with national security at all as much as just that's an excuse that they want to invoke. Although I agree with you that that probably does indicate that it's regarding something that does have to do with foreign policy in terms of his work with this mercenary outfit and all that, but not necessarily it could just be nope. something we yeah. really don't want to release. Exactly. <laughs> so we call it that, you know? No, I agree. I agree. And it could, uh, and but that, but I mean the fact that they did like, so that when they cite the national defense, national security thing, that's like yeah. the, that's the iron fist. That's like the one, like you just can't, there's no negotiation about yeah. it. Like you can't around it. And so like, I agree with you, like re regardless of whether it actually has anything to do with national offense, they did it because they really don't want to tell people whatever they had to yeah. back there. So, well, um, and uh, so look, I mean, back to Timothy McVeigh here. I mean, the question is, you know, and it, 
it's open-ended to ask you like what more we know that indicates whatever i, I don't know what's the limit of this um but already i think we can surmise that this guy was sent to infiltrate the radical right because otherwise the only other explanation is that he just joined the radical right and he was hanging around with a bunch of losers like timothy mcveigh and the area right. republican army bank robbery ring selling bumper stickers he, about you know he's a million the south he's will rise again or whatever you know seems more like he would have been sent there to keep tabs on these type of guys and maybe find the worst ones and keep them under wraps one way or the other to be used or to be protected from or you know to protect people from depending on the circumstance i mean that's always uh, been the case right since J. Edgar hoover whatever you infiltrate the clan people are like man we're afraid of the clan the fbi should infiltrate them and people think well that sounds reasonable but then you got three out of four clansmen are actually fbi informants and then they're still committing horrible crimes you know and getting away with it because now they got federal protection so it turns from one thing into another immediately you know mm -hmm. absolutely yeah no and it's uh, uh and yeah it's it's possible that it's yeah something like that it's also possible that yeah he was sent in like explicitly as a to as a provocateur i don't even and it's i also i have questions about whether maybe like it's possible he wasn't directly working for the cia anymore it's possible that he was like you know how a large a large number of the covert operators in the cia were kind of like dispersed in the 70s out into the world uh when you know they had the supposed like uh, kind of professionalization or whatever that went on there. And, uh, but a lot of them, you know, ultimately what that ended up happening was that they formed like private firms and continued doing the same sort of like really messed up work that they were doing before, yeah. but now kind of in a like not accountable way where they're not directly account, like uh, attached to the government in the same way. And I wonder if like some elements like that more might have been kind of functioning as part of a milieu like that but i don't know once you're in it's then i it gets hard to even ask whether that's a meaningful distinction from quote unquote working for the cia because like probably they get used by the government in the same way you know like so as to avoid direct yeah, and like, you know i mean people who think that like oh well the cia can't do domestic stuff yeah, well, that might be the law, but they can do whatever they want, and they do domestic stuff. And they, you know, as you say in the end of this article in the cliffhanger, hey, next we're going to talk about the CIA's role in uh, Andre Strassmeyer's life and in Absolutely. his role in this bombing, or potentially anyway. And mm -hmm. it sucks that we still don't know for a fact. Uh, well, we do know a lot of things for a fact, but just the... It'd be nice to have a definitive story about exactly what happened here, but we sure do know a lot about Andre Strassmeyer and his oh, yeah. uh, relationship with the government. And again, going back to the 90s, Ambrose Evans Pritchard, for example, uh, interviewed him and essentially made him admit that he did it, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, listen, I'm sorry, I got to go, but I'm uh, awaiting with bated breath your next one about Strassmeyer here. Um, but Absolutely. I'm really happy that you wrote this thing. I hope people will take a look at it. There's definitely yeah. a lot more to this story than what they told you on TV. And, you know, as we were talking about, it's so symbolic or it's uh, 
are symptomatic of just absolutely how corrupt our government and media establishment are that they can get away. You know, I remember reading some of the greatest journalism about this stuff in the Associated Press, but mm -hmm. they're essentially, each one of them was always just a one-off. Yeah. Like, Let us tell you all about Carol Moore and the right. Nazis over at the thing. But then it's not part of our ongoing blockbuster series. What really happened here? God damn it. Right. right. Like it just, right. what? And then that's it. And, um, that's a story of my life is this exact frustration you're feeling now, but, but, um, but well, no, I mean, you're getting to the bottom of it for me. So that's helping. So thank <laughs> you. And, um, and everybody please go to booty com for Boltzmann Booty, that's not his real name, who wrote this great article, the CIA asset that funded the Oklahoma City bombing. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot for having me, and uh, thanks for, the, for giving a platform to this stuff, because it's really important. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. APSradio.com Antiwar.com scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.